listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. The first week of the series, we looked at our spiritual birthright and blessing. And I told you that too many Christians are living in lack. And, and that is, is not just um, a monetary means. That's not what I'm, it certainly includes that. But, but sometimes we just settle for living in spiritual poverty. And God hasn't called us to live in spiritual poverty. We're, we're rich in Christ Jesus. Amen. And, and, and I believe that it's time that God's people, we start acting like that. And the second week, we looked at that a little bit closer as we studied how God has prepared us to live in legacy. Not live in lack, but to live in legacy. And then last week, I spoke on the subject, leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. And today, we're going to close this series with the topic, legacy giving. I know the series is called uh, Legacy Living, but today is legacy giving. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. I don't want to catch anyone off guard um, if you know me, you know I don't speak about finances a lot until the Lord tells me to. And when he does, I don't, I don't hold back. I preach God's word. I believe it's important. But there's too many of God's people that they're not living in legacy. It's because they, they have chosen not to trust God with their finances. Today, I'm not preaching on, on finances per se. Okay, I don't want you to think that. This is not where I'm heading But I need you to understand that at the end of this message today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make an investment into the legacy of Destiny Community Church. And so I want you just to open your heart and and just pray and see what God would have you do. I I don't want you to feel any pressure from me. I want you to really allow the Holy Spirit of God to work on you and let him determine it. And I'll, I'll talk to you on how he's done that in my own life here in just a few moments. There was this prominent family. Let's, let's call them the Smiths because that was their name. And, um, but there was this prominent family named the Smiths that were, were proud of their family tradition. They had a rich family tradition. Their ancestors had come to America on the Mayflower. And their descendants included senators and, and even some Wall Street wizards, people that just knew how to invest and make the family millions and, and this family decided that they needed to compile their family history and leave a legacy for their children and for their grandchildren. If we can get all this information and kind of tell the family story. And so what they did is they went out and they hired one of the best authors that money can buy. One problem arose, though, and, and it was a serious one. And, and it was this, how to handle Great Uncle George. Because Great Uncle George was a criminal a very colorful criminal. He had killed people. And eventually, he was executed in the electric chair. And if they're going to tell the family story and, and tell the, the family ancestry, and they're going to leave a legacy, they're going to have to figure out where does he fit into all that. And so they, they informed the author, the very talented author, they informed him, and he said, I can handle this. He said, I'll... I'll deal with the story of Uncle George very tactfully. And when the book was finally released, here is how Uncle George was addressed. Great Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution, was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a great shock. I have preached many, many funerals over the past 25 years of full-time ministry. Too many to count. I I have preached many funerals. And I can tell you, church, that 
the most heartbreaking funerals for me to preach are not the ones that were unexpected. Those are sad. They hurt. They hurt, but they're not the worst. The most heartbreaking funerals that I've had to preach are not the ones that it seems like they died way too soon. They're painful, but they're not the worst. The most heartbreaking funerals are when no one has anything good to say about the deceased. Those are the funerals that break my heart. And, and, and let me remind you that when I was an associate staff member at a church in Tampa, my pastor, if he did not know the deceased, he didn't preach the funeral. He would assign it to one of us. And, and so we had church members that when they're, they're family members or friends that passed away that were not directly associated with our church, I would get the assignment. The first eight funerals that I preached, I didn't even know the people. And I, out of those eight, one of them, I met him on his deathbed. The rest of them, I, I had never met them before. And I've got this, this system of when, when someone passes away, when someone dies, and, and they, the family wants me to do the funeral, I want the family to tell the story. And so I will go and I will meet with the family. This, this is a practice that I've practiced with some of you in the room when you've had family members that have passed away. And, and I would go and, and meet with these families that I did not know them. And there were, on occasions, there were some families, they had nothing good to say about the deceased. And, and a couple of those occasions, a couple of those instances, they, they were really pretty adamant that, that this was an awful person. And so as a pastor, you almost feel obligated to say something nice. Now, understand this. I will never preach anyone into heaven. I have, I've never done that. I don't have the ability to do that. I've heard some pastors that have tried that. But there are certain topics and certain things that you can just avoid and still preach a, 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 a meaningful message at a funeral, but without preaching someone into heaven. It's heartbreaking if they don't know Christ, but, but nevertheless, as a pastor, you feel this obligation to say something nice, so it, it, it creates a moment for you to get creative. And so you'll say things like this. Maybe it was a workaholic father, but you describe them as a determined man with a strong work ethic. And no one in the room can deny it. You're just not telling the whole story, you know. Some of you are like, well, that's a stretch. Yeah, it is. An overbearing mother becomes a protective matriarch. An irresponsible daredevil becomes an adventurous soul that lived life to the full. I think you see what I mean by this. It, 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 it's, it's just not sharing all the details, but, but trying your best to say something nice about the individual. I am determined to live my life in a way that they don't have to lie when they eulogize me. And that should be the goal of every person in this room. We should want to live our lives in a way that they don't have to lie at our funeral. That what they say is actual. What they say is who you are. And it's good. We've continued to follow the life of Jacob throughout this series. However, last week in our text, Jacob died. And we still had one more week left. So what I want to remind you of, something I shared with you last week, is that years earlier, Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, invested in property so that his family would have a place to bury their deceased. He was thinking ahead, um, not only for he and his wife, but also for, for the entire family. 
As far as we know, this was the first clear ownership of a piece of the promised land by Abraham or any of his descendants. So this is the first that we know of, of any Hebrews or Jews that owned a piece of the promised land. Later, this would not be just a place for the dead, but it would become a place for the living descendants of Abraham. And might I add that even to this day, that is land for the living descendants of Abraham, for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, for the Jews. Now, the goal of every family should be to create godly men and women in every succeeding generation. For the generation that follows, our goal should be we want to raise up godly men and godly women. I've come to this realization lately. I'm not raising children. I'm raising a young man and a young woman, and now they're they're grown. But but that should be the, the revelation for all of us. We're not raising children. They're already children. We're raising those children into men and women, and hopefully you're here today. You're you're, you're here in a Christian church. Your goal should be, I want to make them godly. I want to make them Christ-like. But in order to do that, every decision-making generation must do three things. Now, hear hear what I said. Every decision-making generation in this room right now, this is a decision-making generation, all of us. We have the ability and the power to influence those who are coming behind us. And so we are a decision-making generation. doesn't matter your age. You're a decision-making generation. And and if we're going to create godly men and women, here's what we've got to do. Three things. The first thing is this. We must live by example for the next generation to see. We've got to live by example for the next generation to see. We've got to live Christ-like so that they can see Christ in us. It's convicting, right? The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to instruct the next generation to do the same so that it doesn't stop with us. We show them by example what it means to live as a godly man or a godly woman, and then we instruct them, your job is to do the same. You are going to live your life as a godly man or godly woman in order to influence the generation that's coming behind you. And the third thing that we have to do is we have to invest in the next generation. We must. We must invest in the next generation. If we want to show them that we love them, if we want to show them that we care, then we've got to be willing to invest in the generation that is coming after us. We must provide an inheritance where our children can raise their children and where their children can raise their children and their children their children. When we planted DCC, we were a relevant church in an uncertain time. And I know that that term relevant can, can be a little misleading in church circles. So hear me out, hear me out. It didn't mean that we were modern. It didn't mean that we had lights and, and you know, fog and all that. That's not what relevant means. When I say relevant, I mean it in its truest form. We were relevant to what was happening in the world at that moment, and it was a very uncertain time. We opened our doors as America was entering into the Great Recession. We opened our doors towards the end of 2006, and in 2007, we find ourselves in the middle of this recession, and times were tough. I mean, people were killing themselves. People were being laid off from jobs. It was just a tough time, uh, not just in America, but even around the world. And people were looking for answers. And we opened the doors to Destiny Community Church, and we had hope. I don't even know if we realized it at the time, but we opened the doors and we immediately offered hope. However, however, with that being said, 
the one thing that we did not have was heritage. We didn't have heritage. I had heritage. My grandfather was a pastor on my mother's side. My father was a pastor. I had heritage, but as a church body, as, as a body of believers, a church family, we did not have heritage. We had just opened the doors. We were, we were learning to, to, to know each other, learning to serve with each other. We had no heritage at all. And, and some churches, especially during that time, I, I, would, I would notice that some churches, they, they were so rich in heritage, and it was something that we didn't have, and I, I became a little jealous of that at times. Now, social media was not really a thing, and for those young adults and teenagers in the room, I know that you think that on the eighth day God created social media, and it's always been, but it, it, it hasn't always been. And so back then, we had MySpace, and only college students could get on Facebook. Some of you, you remember this now. So I, it wasn't on social media that I was seeing this, but I would, I would see flyers I would go to the post office, and there would be a flyer from a church, and they were having their 78th annual homecoming. And I'm like, 78? We're a year old. We're two years old. We're three years old. And I felt like it. I felt like we were learning to crawl, you know. And, and I'm like, what, Lord, man, Scott and Nikki, they, they came from a church that celebrated 100 years of ministry. 100 years. And, and man, I was like, God, that's amazing. 100 years of ministry. We didn't have that kind of heritage as a church. But thanks be to God, he surrounded us with seasoned Christians to help us grow and mature in Christ. And I know, I know that there were seasoned Christians that were brought into our church to help me grow and mature in Christ. As much as I thought I knew it all, I didn't know it. I thought I did. But man, God was growing me and he was using some wonderful people to help me with that. Now, 15 and a half years later, we're seeing our children grow up. We're watching them graduate. They're getting married, and they're having children. And, and those of us that were young parents, we're now seasoned. I had no gray in my beard back then, none. This is what you did to me. <laughs> we were a portable church for 11 and a half years, and now we have a home. Praise God. Now we have a home. Amen. And the decisions that we make now, it, it will set the stage for the next generation. A generation that right now they're in children's church or they're in the nursery or they're not even born yet. And we're setting the stage for the next generation. Abraham invested in the promised land. God told him that he was going to give him land, and, and, and Abraham invested in that promised land. And, and this gave his son Isaac a chance to return. It, it, it gave his son Jacob a chance to return. It gave his son Joseph a chance to return when his father wanted to be buried there. It was a place to call home. Maybe they didn't know it. But eventually it would be their home for, for, the, for the Hebrews, for the Jews, for the Israelites. And no matter where life took them, God had a home for them. And then after 430 years in Egypt, 430 years later, God tells Moses to lead the people of Israel to that promised land. I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 3 today. Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush. And he's calling him 
to go and lead the children of Israel out of captivity. Now, I have taught from this way too many times and, and even thought about not including this in this series. But what you have to understand is that as, as you tell the story of Jacob, you must include the story of the Hebrews, the Israelites, leaving bondage. So, so let's, let's read. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. God is speaking. He says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Will you say those three things with me? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Have you ever protested to God? It never does any good, but have you ever protested to God? Yeah. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of, say it with me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. God says, listen, as far as it relates to my people, the Hebrews, as far as it relates to the Jews, he says, from here on out, they will know me as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Three, succession, uh, three generations in succession. He says, they will know me by these three names. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Nearly two dozen times in Scripture, the Bible references to God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And, and the, the repetitiveness of this Abrahamic covenant, if you will, it, it, it made three promises. It, it promised land. To all three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God promised land, he promised many descendants, and he promised a blessing. To all three generations, he promised that. He said, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you many descendants, and I'm going to give you a blessing. Church, I'm telling you, this is what we need to be praying over our children and, and their heritage and their inheritance. We need to be praying, God, give them land. God, give them many descendants, and God, I want you to give them a blessing. This is the prayer that we should continue to pray over our households, over our children, and over our grandchildren. God, give them land. God, give them many descendants, and God, give them a blessing. And now, 400-plus years later, in Egypt, as slaves, we see the descendants. We see them. 
And there's a lot of them. That part of the promise has come true. There are many of them. There were so many. They were so plentiful that the new Pharaoh, who the Scripture says in Exodus chapter 1, he did not know Joseph. He didn't remember. Remember Joseph, the son of Jacob? He was made second command of all of Egypt. The new Pharaoh, hundreds of years later, has no idea who Joseph was, so he's forgot about that whole deal. And, and now he has made all of them slaves. The entire race has been made slaves. And <clears throat> he's afraid, he's intimidated by it, and he's afraid that they're going to take over. So, so that's why he oppresses them and makes them slaves. And the promise of many descendants, it had been fulfilled. Uh, some, some Bible scholars believe they were up into the millions that, that were there in Egypt now. But the land and the blessing are nowhere to be found. They're not evident. They're not there. But church, how many of you know God has never been one to make empty promises? That's not our God. Our God doesn't make empty promises. Our God doesn't even make partial promises. When God says it, it is yes and amen. When God says it, you rest assured that it's going to happen, it's going to transpire, it's going to, to, to come to pass. Philippians 1 and 6 tells us, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So we know, we know that God, who is the author and finisher of our faith, we know that God is going to bring it to completion, that God, whatever God has, has begun, God is going to finish. Whatever promises he made, it, listen, some of you, you're like, well, God, you almost got it right. You know, you almost gave me the man or woman of my dreams. Almost, God, you were so close. Listen, God doesn't do anything halfway. You keep holding on to that promise. God, you promised me a career, but, but I, I just don't see it. I've got a job, but, I, but Lord, seriously, this, this is the best? Don't give up on that. Because whatever God started, God will satisfy. Whatever God began, God will complete. And I know firsthand how this feels because this, this that what we're in right now, this was a promise that we had to hold on to for 11 and a half years as we met in the middle school. Kicking chicken nuggets under the tables. I, I was literally preaching. I didn't, I didn't share this first service. It just came to my mind. I, it was Christmas. It was Christmas. It was Christmas morning, right? Christmas morning. I was on stage. We had this wonderful idea to bring all the children up on stage and let them sit around Pastor Rocky's feet as he reads them a beautiful story. We had all of them come up on that Sunday morning, Christmas morning. They were all gathered around. Little did I know that all the parents were freaking out because there was a, a mouse, a borderline rat, crawling up the steps, coming towards the, the children as Pastor Rocky is reading this story, right? This is the kind of stuff that we had to deal with for 11 and a half years. We had no control of the AC. It, it was a nightmare situation. And for 11 and a half years, we, we were just like, God, have you forgotten about us? Even after we broke ground, what was supposed to take 11 months, it took over three years. Over three years for them to build this building. And there were many times I'm just like, God, you know, why? Why, why? why would you do this to us? But whatever God starts, God will complete. And how many of you know that God hasn't stopped writing the DCC story? Amen? God hasn't stopped writing the DCC story. Those are just the beginning chapters. And I can promise you the story won't stop with me. If, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come back to receive his church in my lifetime, 
The DCC story will still, uh, it, it will still be being written uh, even on. It, long after I'm gone, long after you're gone, this is not about us. This is about us. It's not about me. It's about me and you and all of us together. It's about all of us and our descendants and those who are going to come to know Jesus Christ even through our efforts. That's what this story is about. And so if you want to know why some of these changes are happening and, and why this growth is happening right now, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I'll tell you. About 15 years ago, I, I read a book. I don't even have it anymore. I don't even know where it's at. 15, 20 years ago, I read this book called The Prayer of Jabez. It's a small little book. This guy's name is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Thankfully, we know he's one of the descendants of Judah, which is one of Jacob's sons, Jacob, who Israel, who we've been studying. And so he's a descendant of Judah. And, and there's this, this crazy prayer that he prays. We really don't know much about the guy, but, but he prays this prayer. And, and lately, I've just been praying this prayer. I'm like, okay, God, whatever's next for DCC, I'm, I'm just going to pray this. 1 Chronicles 4 and 10. It says, he, Jabez, was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Here's what he prayed. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And here's the crazy part. And God granted him his request. That simple prayer by Jabez, God, expand my territory. And I've just been praying, God, bless us. I want to live in my birthright. I want to live in my blessing. Lord, bless us. Expand our territory. Be with us in everything that we do and keep us from trouble and from pain. That's a pretty good prayer. And I've just come to this conclusion that if God will do it for Jabez, then he will do it for us. That if God will do that for Jabez, that, that God is no respecter of persons. If I pray that prayer, I just believe that God will do it. And now I'm watching as it all unfolds. Oh, God bless us and expand our territory. I just believe God is doing that. Now, now let, me, let me be your, your shepherd and your pastor just for a moment, okay? So this is going to be hard. I'm, I'm warning you up front. For those that worry about a church getting too big, I know, it, it runs across everyone's mind. Don't feel guilty for thinking that, okay? But those of you that worry about that, I, let, me, let me, with as much grace as I can muster, as, as much understanding that can flow from my heart, let me say it like this. Get over it. Get over it. Are you kidding me? Is that really the gripe? I'm worried about a church getting too big. Listen, some of you left churches because they got too big. Listen to me. Listen close to me. There is a scripture in the Old Testament that haunts me. And years ago when I came across this scripture, I could not shake it. I'm telling you there have been nights that I've laid my head on my pillow and this scripture has echoed in my, my mind. And I believe, I believe God keeps it there for a purpose and for a reason. And it's for a moment and a time like this. I'm going to read this scripture to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 14. And it says these words. It says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Hell hath enlarged herself. Let me tell you what it's saying. Hell keeps expanding its territory and its borders. 
Hell is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? To accommodate. That if you are not a child of God, if you are not a Christ follower, this will be your, your destination. This will be where you end up. And friends, I, I, if, if you want to know where I stand on this, here it is. I believe hell is a real place. I believe it is a real destination for those that do not put their faith and trust in Jesus. You can be a good person all you want to, but if you do not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, hell is going to be the destination. And this, this, this verse haunts me because I believe heaven's real also. Okay? And I want to see heaven populated. I do not want to see hell populated. Therefore, today, I put hell on notice. DCC is revoking your building permit, hell. DCC is revoking your building permit. Your roads, hell, your roads are inferior. We prefer streets of gold. Your gates are inadequate. Code calls for gates of pearl. And, and you know what? Hell, your host is unacceptable because we're going to lead people to the Lamb of God. That's where we're taking them. And so, church, I'm, I'm letting you know this is the reason why we can never become satisfied. I want to see the church grow. I want to see the church expand. I want to see more people come to Jesus Christ. I want to see more people discipled. And, and if, it, it, if it's praying prayers, God, expand us, grow us, whatever that looks like, then don't let us stand in the way of that. As a matter of fact, I want to become a roadblock on the way to hell so that people have to intentionally go around us to get there. If church growth bothers you, I, I think you just need to get right with God. But don't worry. Don't worry. The bigger we get, the better we understand that we have to do small. And that's why we're putting on a full-time connections pastor. BJ will get you connected. You don't have to know everyone. That's some of your problems. You're so nosy, you feel like you've got to know everyone. And it's hard when the church grows. Just get over that. You don't have to know everyone, but you've got to know someone. You've got to be in connection with someone. BJ's going to head that up and get you connected. Israel had the numbers. They had the people. Now they just needed the rest of the promise fulfilled. Land and blessing. They had the numbers. They just need the land that God promised, and they need the blessing. And God was about to lead them to the threshold of that promised land under the direction of Moses. And you know the story, church. You know it. I'm not going to go into detail of it, but they get there to the threshold. They send in 12 spies. Ten come back and say, we cannot take this land. The inhabitants are too great for us. Two of them of the younger generation said, we can and, and the people sided with the ten. They decided not to. And for the next 40 years, the next 40 years, they wandered in a wilderness. They were spinning their wheels. How many churches do we know of that they just spin their wheels for 40 years until a generation dies off? And here's what usually happens. That generation dies off and the church dies with it. It's heartbreaking to me. Why does it have to be like that? We've got a great commission. Why should it be like that? It shouldn't be like that. We've got to do everything within our ability. And I don't want to wait, church. I don't want to wait on a generation to die off. Some people may over-spiritualize opportunities like what we have. And, and here's what I mean by that. They'll ask questions like this. 
Does God really want us to build a student center for our middle school and high school students? Is that really what God wants? Does God want us? Like, did he call DCC to minister to families in Gilchrist County and in the Trenton area? Did, did God really call us to do that? Does God want us to take the gospel to the women of the Florida Women's Reception Center? Does God really want us to do that? Guys, I don't even have to pray about these things. I do. But I don't pray, God, do you want us to? I pray, God, how are you going to do it? How are you going to fund it? How are you going to get us there? How are you going to get us in? That's the prayers that I pray. I don't have to pray, God, do you want us to? Of course he does. You remember Bill Wilson that was here a few months ago? And remember, he just challenged all of us. Remember, we, we sent people into Afghanistan to... You, you remember that whole deal. Bill's crazy. He's out there. Matter of fact, Bill right now is in the Ukraine. He sent me a video last night. He's in the Ukraine getting kids out. And I'm like, you're nuts, bro. You're crazy. But thank God for you. Bill said it when he was here with us on stage. He said it right here. We're trying to figure out. We're trying to pray, God, which direction do you want us to go? And we have these opportunities sitting in front of us. And our friend Bill Wilson said, the need is the call. You're waiting on this verbal voice from heaven to say, yes, this is what I want you to do. And God's like, no, the need is right in front of you. Why would I not want you to do that? Why would I not want you to go into the prison? Matter of fact, that's scriptural. You don't want me to get Nicole Dyson up here and make her preach it to you. It's scriptural to go into the prisons. Why would God not want us to do that? Why would God not want us to go into to Gilchrist County and, and use the model that he has blessed us with to bless families and, and generations there. Why would God not want us to build a student center to rescue them before they have to be reached? Why? Why? Why would God not want that? Church, it's time to go. It's time to answer the call. I shared with you last week three opportunities that we have before us. All three require funding. I warned you. You didn't leave. I told you I was going to do this. That student center that we're building is a million-dollar project. Yes, the price has gone up since we started, but everything in construction has gone up. And let me, let me just fill you in. It's not coming back down. It will level out at some point, but it's not going to come back down. It's just the cost. It's inflation. It's the way it works. And it's a million-dollar project. And, and to the best of my calculations, thank, thankfully, our, our administrative council, myself, we have worked hard to get us in a financial position where we can pay most of that with cash and still have reserve in the bank for, for rainy day fund. We're, we'll be in good shape but we're going to be about $150,000 short. We can raise $150,000 and build that building debt-free. The Trenton campus. We've got a nice building. It's a metal building that needs a lot of work. It's in a wonderful location, straight across the street from the, from the high school. Best location. We couldn't ask for any better. But it needs a lot of work. It's not up to code. It just it needs a lot of cosmetic work. Our guesstimation, you know the difference between a 
a guess and an estimate, right? We have no idea. <laughs> the guesstimation, our, our best guess is it's going to probably cost about 200000 to renovate that building and get it ready. We'll do as much as we can until the money runs out, and then we're going to open up. Florida Women's Reception Center. And I told you last week how Nicole's been working really hard to get us in there, and we're in the final stages of that. I'm guessing it'll probably take about $5,000 to upgrade the equipment to get it where it needs to be for us to start live streaming our services. And I told you, every Sunday, we're going to greet them from the stage right here as they watch live online, and we're going to make them feel included in DCC. We're going to them. It's about $5,000, and I'm going to tell you how this works. God moves on your heart to give towards one of these legacy campaign projects. Once one is taken care of, we're not going to come back to you and give your money back to you. It's going to roll over to the next project. It's just the way it works. It's all about legacy. And we're just going to receive the money until, until we get that one done, and then we'll move to the next one. We'll move the, I mean, I, I really think that this is the way God wants us to do this. It's three opportunities, and they're hitting us all at once, and it's a great, great ministry opportunity for us. Church, this is about legacy. It's about legacy. And common sense says this. Common sense says Pastor, you should tackle one at a time. You'll probably have more success for that. But opportunity says it's yours for the taking. Go get it. God has laid these three opportunities out for us. And I just believe that we as a church, we can do this. We can do this. God didn't name one enemy at a time when he called Moses. In our text this morning, he listed each one of them out before Moses even accepted the responsibility of leading the people. He knew every enemy they would have to face in the promised land before he even agreed to the job. God said, in the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, he said, in that land, that's where you're going to inhabit. He named each and every one of them. Well, we've got them named. We've got the three projects that we need funding. We know what it's going to take. Are we willing to do it? And I'll tell you, just in complete, complete honesty with you today, and listen, I'm not that pastor that's going to tell you how much I gave, okay? I don't, I don't do that. I, I, it makes me a little sick on my stomach when pastors get up and they're like, well, I'm going to invest this much. Me and my wife, we're going to give this much. That's between me and God. It's none of your business. But I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done. And this morning, after I've been praying about this, I, we've been traveling all week. We were, we were out of town and never really had a chance just to sit down and talk with Mandy about it. And this morning, I was like, I, I, we need to come up with how much we're going to invest if, if, if we're going to do this. And I wrote a check out. The reason I wrote a check I usually give, do online giving. The reason I wrote a check out is because I needed to talk with Mandy about it. But I went ahead and wrote it out for this amount that I felt like God was leading me. And I sent Mandy a text. I didn't even call her. I sent her a text and said, we need to talk about how much we need to give towards the legacy campaign. Without hesitation, my wife sent me a text back with the exact amount of how much God laid on my heart, and I already had the check sitting on my desk. And here's what I thought. God, you're confirming it. Your will, your bill. 
God's going to take care of this. All I'm asking you to do is to look deep inside and say, God, what can I do to invest in the next generation? When we were building this building after the the main red iron structure was up and they started studying out the walls where you could start to see the rooms, Pastor Andrew and Deanna, they brought their kids, Riley and Lincoln, here to the property. They parked right in front. It was a mud hole out there. I don't know how they didn't get stuck, but they, they parked right in front. And they were getting the kids out. When they got the kids out, Lincoln asked his dad, he asked Andrew, he said, Daddy, what's this? And Andrew said, it's our new church we're building, buddy. It's our new church. And Lincoln responded, I'll never forget this. He responded, he went, oh, Daddy, you buy this for me? <laughs> A few months later, Deanna and the kids were driving by as construction continued. And Lincoln yells out from the back seat with excitement. He says, that's mine. Daddy and all the mans built that for me. <laughs> this should be the response of the next generation. They didn't ask to be a part of a church plant 15 years ago. They didn't ask to be part of a portable church. They didn't ask to inherit a $3.5 million mortgage. I know that blows some of your minds. They didn't ask for that. But the only way we could get on this property, listen, we, we raised six hundred twenty-five, six hundred thirty thousand 000 or so that... that we invested into this as a church body before we broke ground. But guys, honestly, that just went in to the infrastructure, the, the, the site prep, just to get ready for this. There was nothing on this property. The only way we could get onto it is to take a mortgage out, and we did. They didn't ask for that. I'm letting you know, my goal is not to stop with a, a debt-free student center. My goal is not to stop with one, one church in Trenton, one satellite church in Trenton, that, that's not the goal. My goal is to keep expanding our borders, keep expanding our territory, keep growing, and sooner than later, pay this off so that the next generation doesn't have to. You may think I'm nuts. You may think I'm crazy. I'm, I'm telling you. Within the next 10 years, I believe all this is going to be paid for debt-free, and we're going to have money just to invest in wherever God leads us. I just know God's going to do it. He has never disappointed me all along the way on this journey. And I know this. I won't retire until it's done. I'm not leaving this for my kids and for my grandkids. We've got an opportunity today to do something crazy for the kingdom of God. And here's how it's going to work. If you have cash or check that you want to sow into the legacy campaign, our ushers are going to be standing at the doors on the way out. They're going to have buckets in their hands every dime you put in it. If, if you put in a check, just mark it on there. Legacy campaign. If you want it to go to a specific project, whether it be the student center, the prison ministry, or the Trenton campus, write it on there in the memo line. 
whatever cash you put in there, it, it, all of this is going straight to the Legacy Campaign. If you choose to give online, you can go to our website, you can go to the app, and it, it will list all three of those projects. It'll say Legacy Student Center, Legacy Prison Ministry, Legacy Trenton Campus, and you can give specifically to one of them. You can text to give, DCC Giving to 77977. Follow the, the prompts there, and it'll lead you right where you need to. I'm not asking for equal giving. I'm not asking for that. Not all of us can give the same amount, but we can all make the same sacrifice. And here's what I'm asking you to do, church. Please hear me. Make a sacrifice for the next generation. Don't give comfortably in this moment. This is a defining moment for us as a church. Some of you were not here to invest in the early stages. This is your opportunity. For those of us that were here, we know how God blessed us through that. Why would we not want to be a part of it now? And let me say this. For some of you, you're going to give because your kids are in that ministry out there right now. They're, they're in children's church. They're in the nursery right now. And you want to give to make an investment into, into their future. For others in the room, you don't have any children yet. This is a seed that you're sowing. And yet for others in the room, you're, you're at an age where your children are grown. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I just wish that we would have had the same opportunity then. Why didn't we have access? Why didn't we have a student ministry then? My, my children's lives can look so different. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to, to give in a retroactive way. I want you to sow a seed into this coming generation, but believing for your prodigal sons and daughters who are grown to come to Jesus now. You're going to invest in someone else's child, believing for your child. And God's promised us this year the prodigals come home. If, if you're here and you're offended by anything that I say, listen, I, I promise you, I don't talk about finances very often. I don't. But here at this church, we have accountability. And that's why we are blessed. We have accountability. If you're offended by it, don't give a dime. Because it will be useless to you. And God loves a cheerful giver. But if you're ready to make an investment into the legacy of Destiny Community Church and what God wants to do through us, this is our opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.